The Bible reading this morning comes from Roman chapter, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they don't know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about righteousness, righteousness that's by the law. The person who does these things will live, them, live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But the, what the righteousness that is by faith says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That's the message concerning faith, the faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, thanks, Trevor, for reading that passage. And uh, let me just say, it is, uh, and for the person who's translating, this is not in the text. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but look, it is great to be here. And um, I've got a great deal of affection for my time at Carlingford many, 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 many years ago as a very young pastor. Made a lot of mistakes here, made some good friends here, some of whom I'm still in contact with. But uh, Rhonda and I had a great time here with our three children. So it is lovely to come back, let me say, and still see a few familiar faces. Although I am concerned, as I walked in, somebody who knew me from when I was a lot young, younger, when I left in 1992, said, you hadn't changed a bit. But, uh, but that's not true. But then she, said, uh, then she said, but my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. <laughs> So it is good to be here, and uh, I pray that as we uh, look at the scriptures today, that God would speak to us, to you, and to me. So would you join me in prayer? 
Our Father God, uh, we pause now very consciously and deliberately to ask that your Holy Spirit might take the Word, the written Word of God, and empower it so that it becomes the living Word of God and point us to Jesus who is the very Word, the very expression of God himself. So thank you, Lord, for your love. Change us as we leave this place. Help us to be different, more like Christ as we leave than when we came. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm assuming that the, the tech guys, you'll change the slides for me, will you? Fantastic. Okay. Now, I think this sounds like an excellent sound system. I presume that everybody can hear me up the back. Okay. Well, I've headed the, the sermon title today, Beautiful Feet with Good News. Beautiful Feet with Good News. I migrated to Australia um, back in 1963. Where we come from, the people that we were born into, the country, the culture, which is our own culture, is very important to shape our identity and who we are. And when I arrived in Australia in 1963, I was a little boy of 10 years of age. We did not go to church. But the lady who we lived next door to up on the central coast invited us to Sunday school. And that began my journey of following Jesus. In many ways, she exemplified what this passage was about. Beautiful feet with good news. So who we are, the people that we're born into, has a profound effect on us. And when we came here in 1963, I quickly came to call Australia home. I'm just getting a bit of feedback. I'll move that away, shall I? Um, I quickly came to call Australia home, and Australia has been a wonderful place for me and my family. But I can still remember as a young man uh, in my university years, some 11 years later, flying back to visit England for the first time in 10 years. And it caught me by surprise that as I flew over the green fields of England, which should appear on the screen right now, tears welled up in my eyes. I was completely caught by surprise. I hadn't realised that the place where I came from was still so deeply ingrained in my heart and in my mind. There was still a strong link, and indeed, there is still a strong link with the land of my birth. And probably for many of you, uh, you may not have been born in Australia, your, the land and the people of your birth still have a very strong place in your heart and your life. The same was true of the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He wrote to the Christians in Rome, in Italy, he came from Palestine, uh, the Jewish homeland, uh, way over in the east. He travelled far and wide over the Mediterranean world, taking the good news of Jesus from one country to the other, and he'd mainly been involved with non-Jewish people. But right at the start of this passage that we've got here, he says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, his people, is this, that they may be saved. That phrase, a heart's desire, is a very, very strong phrase. He, con he was concerned and continued to be concerned very, very deeply for the people of his birth, the land of the place where he was born, the culture that he came from. 
And this heart's desire, this desire right down in the very depths of his being, was focused on their spiritual needs, not just their physical needs. I notice that you're supporting uh, the hospitals in PNG with Baptist World Aid, a wonderful project. What awful things are going on in the world uh, today, isn't there, with this awful pandemic? And we need to support people physically. But we also need to have a profound concern for their spiritual standing with God. Because often the deepest and the most hidden needs are people's spiritual needs and the one that can make the most profound change in their life once it's met. And is it not true today that just as was with Paul, that he was concerned for the Jewish people's relationship with God, that they might be saved, he said, is that not what we need to be concerned about primarily today with our neighbours, with our people here, but also people around the globe? The deepest needs around us are spiritual, not simply physical. Now, when you look a little bit further in this text, it's not as if Paul was concerned that his people were not interested in God. Often we think today that people aren't particularly interested in God. But Paul said they were zealous, verse 2 in chapter 10. He said they were zealous for God. They were keen. They wanted to be right with God. They wanted to be righteous. But there was a problem. It was misguided zeal. He said it was zeal without proper knowledge. They were going down the wrong track because they thought that being right with God could be accomplished in their own power, verse 3, and by keeping the law in verses 5 and 6. Now, that links to the song that we sang just a few moments ago. We come to God what? Well, we often think we come to God with things to bring to him, my good works or my religiousness or my uh, kindness or whatever it might be. But we come to God in that song, it says, empty-handed. And that's the only way that we can come to God. But the Jewish people, Paul's people, said, no, we can do it in our own power. If we keep the law we can be put right with God. But Paul says that is not right. But that's the way that most people think today, isn't it? That we can have a relationship with God by doing certain things. That it's a natural human tendency, I think, to think that we can work for salvation. From the time when we're little kids, we are told that if you want to get anywhere in life, you've got to work for it. You've got to study hard at school. Now, of course, all you children over here, all you young people over here, I'm sure you study really hard at school. I'm not saying don't do that. But we're told from the very, very beginning, if you want to get anywhere in life, you've got to work for it. And we transfer that attitude to our relationship with God. You've got to work at it. You've got to do certain things. And we attempt to do this by being good, perhaps by being religious, by adhering to certain rituals, But when we travel that road, we discover it leads us to the wrong place. We discover for a start that it's extremely hard work because we can never be good enough. Be good, keep the rules. That's not the message that Paul gives because it's not good news. That's actually tough news. If you're good enough, God will love you. That's not the message that Paul brings. Because Paul's message for his people was liberatingly different. It was indeed good news. 
not the hard news of work hard with being good or being religious and God will accept you and love you. It was, we are put right with God through faith. What Paul was so passionately concerned about for his birth people was that they needed to hear that being put right with God comes through faith, through being empty-handed, through a trusting belief in the God who is the Lord of all creation, beyond our galaxy, but also the one who knows our heart intimately and deeply and powerfully. And he offers us forgiveness freely through faith. Look at verses 8 and 9. That's what it says here in this passage. What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. It's the word of faith we're proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That was the message that I heard as an 11-year-old boy at Etalong Baptist Church, preached by a pretty fearsome preacher called Jack Simmons, who was a math teacher, then became a pastor. But that was the message that he preached, that I could be accepted and loved by God freely and respond and receive that by faith. And so whatever our culture Whatever our race, whatever our background, the truth is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, verse 13, will be saved. You see, righteousness is not earned, it's received. True salvation is not about adherence to rules or rituals, it's about a relationship with a person. And that's the difference with Christian faith from so, for, for so many other things. It's about relationship with the God of the universe that transforms our life and we come to him empty-handed and receive the gift through faith. Righteousness comes through faith. Now, it is a gift that's not earned. Now, that truth is probably very, very familiar with most of us here today. You've no doubt heard lots of preachers stand up here and study it in your Bible study. The trouble is that familiarity sometimes means that we can lose the radical nature of this message in Paul's day and in our day. For it's the idea that a true relationship with God is a gift that we receive by faith, not a wage that we earn by actions. That's a radical message. Um, And people still stumble over it. My daughter, who was, when, when we left here in 1992, she was a little girl around about uh, three and a half, four years of age. She's now 33 with three kids of her own, um, two boys and a girl. But she's got a father-in-law uh, who um, is not a believer. He's got a, he's got a religious background in another denomination. And he came to church for uh, their uh, second son's dedication at our church. And the preacher was preaching on the story of the prodigal son. You know the story, the young son who goes and blows his inheritance and then comes back a broken man and, and says, uh, I've sinned against uh, God and against uh, you. Uh, can you take me back as one of your hired servants? But what does the father do in that story? We know the story well. What does the father do? He, he throws a party. And the eldest son is what? really, really cranky. He says, this son's blown your inheritance and yet you're receiving him back freely. The point of that story, of course, is that God is prodigal, is um, profligate in his grace and receives us back whenever we turn back to him. But my daughter's father-in-law, I still remember having the conversation with him after the service. 
And uh, I can't remember how we got onto it, but he said, well, this grace thing is overrated. That younger brother should not have been received back so early. He should have got what he deserved. He should be made to pay for what he did. That's what he said. It was disappointing. Because, but it's, it's so typical that we often think that the way to God is through hard work rather than receiving it as a gift not earned. Salvation by grace through faith is a stumbling block. Beware of becoming too familiar with that truth so that it doesn't grab your heart. For this is the message that Paul's people needed. It's also the message that our people need. Which leads us to the final two verses of this passage during this May mission month. And I want us to drill down for just a couple of minutes into these verses, in verses 14 and 15, as we begin this May mission month. And that's 14, that should be 15a, not 5a. I've just noticed a typographical error there. Listen carefully to these two verses right at the end of this little text. It says this, and Paul is longing for this message to go out to his people, and he says, how then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, there's a remorseless logic in these verses, isn't there? To be saved, people need to call upon Jesus. But they cannot call on someone they don't believe in. And they cannot believe in someone they've not heard about. And they can't hear if no one tells them. And how in the world can anyone tell them if someone is not sent to them? That's Paul's logic in this passage. Somebody needs to be sent to preach the message that the people might hear, that they might believe, and they might be saved. You see, Global Interaction, the Baptist Mission Organisation, is about sending people to tell the least reached people about Jesus so that those people might call on him, discovering how he wants them to follow him in their own unique ways. The churches that Moana and Vili uh, work with in Thailand will look different to us. If you're having morning tea this morning and you start eating with your hand, uh, you might be thought to be a bit... Um, Improper. There it's normal. You eat with your, make sure it's your right hand, by the way, when you eat. Uh, but their services look different. Their songs are perhaps different. The cultural practices they have are different. It's their own unique expression, but it's still being saved by grace through faith. Moana and Vili are sent people to the ethnic Thai people. You know them and you support them. And five years ago or four years ago, I went and I was the speaker at their annual retreat, which was a great privilege. And my daughter, Jasmine, came with us and we had a wonderful week uh, sharing with them. And they, if, I'm assuming they've been and visited the church. They are a wonderful couple. So let me encourage you to continue to pray for them and support them. They are, they've been there for many years. He is the team leader and they are doing a wonderful, wonderful job. But I want to tell you also about the other couple that appear on this slide, if we can go to the next one. Uh, that couple in the top left-hand corner are Matt and Shannon Anderson. She's American, he's Australian, they met in Alice Springs, and they now serve in a community with the Walpree people at Uendamu. 
Yuendamu is three hours uh, wet, uh, northwest of Alice Springs. Three hours of driving. Now, in the Northern Territory, I was up there two weeks ago, and you can drive at 130 kilometres an hour on their main roads, okay? I never drive that fast in my life. But the distances are so huge uh, that you have to drive pretty fast. So you're driving at roughly 100 to 130 kilometres an hour for three hours to get to their little community. And their little community probably has well under 1,000 people in it. They've got four children, two twins. Uh, her grand, uh, Shannon's grandmother died in uh, America with whom she was very close to. During COVID, she couldn't even get home to say goodbye to her grandmother. She's, uh, they are living in a very isolated place. In the first year that they were there, they were away from the community for a little while. Somebody came in and completely trashed their house and did $200,000 worth of damage. And they had to then go and live in Alice Springs while the house was repaired and then go back and live there again. They are a committed, young, passionate couple seeking to share Jesus with our Indigenous people, the Walpree people there at Uendamu. It's a remote and challenging place to live. They are there with their four young children who go to the local school. Why? Because like Paul, Matt and Shannon have a heart's desire to share the good news of Jesus with these Indigenous sisters and brothers of ours. They are sent people. Now, such work isn't easy. The communities are remote and poor. Uh, two weeks ago, I was visiting the northern communities. Um, Alice Springs is roughly 1,500 kilometres south of Darwin. So I flew to Darwin and then drove 900 kilometres. And I wasn't even anywhere near Alice Springs. If you've been to the Northern Territory, you know how big it is. Drove 900 kilometres to one other little community called Laja Manu. And uh, it was there. The communities are remote and poor. The community at Uendamu can be quite violent. About 18 months ago, you would have heard it in the news, uh, a local Indigenous man was, was shot uh, by the local policeman and the trial is still going on. But fruit is being born. And there is a picture of some young men who were baptised in Uendamu this last Easter. Their lives have been touched by the message of the gospel because somebody listened to Paul's message here in Romans chapter 10, that they won't hear unless somebody is sent. That's a great encouragement to Matt and Shannon. It's a great encouragement to Moana and Vili in Thailand. Other individuals are discerning whether God is calling them to go to be sent to the outback for this work. Please pray for that. And note this last verse in our passage. It's about being sent to announce good news. The picture of two feet, it says here, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And this is good news, isn't it? When I was a young man from the UK, 11 years of age, heard the story of Jesus for the first time, and I had been somebody who was questioning what life, you know, what you do when you're a young person. You think, what's life all about? What am I here for? Is there a purpose in it or is it just accidental? Do I just sort of live for, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years and that's it? Get a job, buy a house. Is that what it's all about? And so I began to question those things but heard the message of Jesus because somebody was sent to me. 
the lady next door who invited me to Sunday school, the preacher who shared each week, the, the Sunday school teacher who taught me and, uh, and took an interest in me as a, young, uh, as a young person. Those people were sent just as Moana and Vili and Matt and Shannon are sent. They were sent with good news to me. And here I am, 56 or something years later, speaking to you and wondering if God is calling somebody here to be sent. Well, we're all sent, aren't we? We are sent not with sad news, but glad news. We are sent, if we are followers of Jesus, uh, not with news of condemnation, but of salvation. We are not to announce judgment, but forgiveness. We are not to preach rules or religion, but relationship. We are not to preach war, but peace. We are not to speak of hatred, but love. And all of that's good news. And therefore, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those people who bring good news. Beautiful indeed are the feet that bring such news. Paul here is quoting actually from Isaiah 52 verse 7 in the Old Testament, where the prophet announces that God will rescue and restore Israel, good news from those who are oppressing her. And Paul takes this and applies it to the good news about Jesus. Who were the people, which were the beautiful feet that if you're a follower of Jesus brought you the good news? Maybe it was your mum and dad. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a preacher in a church. Maybe it was a book that somebody had written. Who were the beautiful feet that brought you the good news if you are a follower of Jesus? The feet that bring good news are beautiful. Those feet might be red with the dust of Central Australia or mired with the mud of tropical, uh, a tropical, ta- uh, a tropical Thailand or sometimes covered in snow uh, with those who uh, Eliza and David who work in Kazakhstan, Central Asia, another difficult country, but they are all beautiful feet. So do we live as sent people if you've been saved by Jesus? And is God perhaps wanting to send us further than just our own local community? Is the Lord wanting to send out workers into his harvest field from among us here at Carlingford Baptist Church? A lot of young people are over here. Who knows what God is going to do with your life? But if you give your life to God and you make your feet available to him, he can take you places and do things that bring profound change to other people. Beautiful feet. And my prayer for each of us is this, that we will see ourselves, whether it's just to the people in our local district or the neighbour that lives next door to us or or our work colleagues, that we will see ourselves as sent people. But perhaps it might be that there is somebody here who, like Matt and Shannon or Moana and Vili, hear the call to be sent not to just their own people but to other people around the globe. And who knows what, but in 50 years' time, one of you younger people might be standing in some other church in another country sharing the good news of Jesus. But we've all got to see ourselves as sent people. And so my prayer as you enter into this May Mission Month that you will see yourself as somebody sent with good news And others will see you as having beautiful feet because you brought that good news. May God, by his spirit, do that for each of us. Can I pray? Let me pray.
Father God, it's easy to stand in a pulpit and, and preach like this, um, but it's harder to be sent away from family and friends for people like Matt and Shannon or Moana and Vili to hear the call of God and to obey. But thank you that we do have good news, not sad news, but glad news. And I pray that you would help each of us to see ourselves as sent people, that you might use our feet to take us to places where we can share with others in word and sign and deed the good news of Jesus, the transforming, life-giving, free gift of Christ. So I just commit these, your people here, I pray for the meeting that they've got this afternoon to appoint the interim pastor. I pray that you might raise up from among them people who will hear your call and be prepared to be sent, not just locally, but globally. So Lord, will you guide us all and enable us and equip us to be those people with beautiful feet. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. And God bless you.